1: Welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, aka GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup against the Boston Celtics on Monday night. The Knicks head up north to take on one of, if not the best team. In the NBA, as far as as the numbers are concerned, the Celtics uh, are that. We'll get to how good the Celtics are in just a second. Uh, Joining me in just a second will be Jack Simone, a returning guest from 10 games ago. He came on to help me preview the opening night matchup between the Knicks and the Celtics. We get into it. A lot of X's and O's uh, in this episode. I think you guys will really enjoy what's really been working for the Celtics. Some of it is just they're taking a ton of threes and... When they go in, the Celtics are unstoppable. And when they don't, they have things to pivot to. But you have a chance to beat them. And that's kind of my takeaway from researching the Celtics for this episode and, and what they're good at. So your preview of the Celtics is I'm not going to go through the connections uh, between the Knicks and, and Boston. I think a division rival should be self-explanatory. Um, so I'm going to trust you guys that uh, you know all the connections between the Knicks and the Celtics. The Celtics this season are 7-2. and two. They're first in net rating, they're third in offensive rating, and they're second in defensive rating. They're the only team in the top three of all three of these categories, which explains why they're first in net rating. In fact, they're plus 14 on the season. Speaking of of plus and minus, their starting lineup of Drew Holiday, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kristaps Porzingis in 247 possessions is plus 42.4. That's according to Cleaning the Glass. The only lineup that's better than them in at least 100 possessions is the one in Denver that won the title. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, Nikola Jokic is awesome and kind of unstoppable himself. But that's how good that Celtics starting five has been this season. They've just been blitzing teams. And, you know, I'm I'm very curious what the Knicks do against this team Uh, Because the Celtics are also third in rebound percentage, sixth in turnover percentage, fourth in effective field goal percentage, fifth in true shooting. They're first by like six in three-point attempts a game. Um, uh, As far as what they do on defense, they're second in opponent field goal percentage. They're sixth in opponent uh, three-point percentage and first in free throw percentage. I don't even know if that is a stat that they're responsible for or whether that's just kind of lucky, but... If you're spending so much time trying to guard the Celtics, maybe you're worn out when you're trying to shoot free throws. I tried to find a thing their bottom five in. And the only thing I could come up with is that they don't force a ton of turnovers They're 29th in turnovers forced per game. And part of that might just be that, you know, they're they're so good on offense that they can beat you straight up. So uh, a team like the Knicks that doesn't turn over the ball a lot, that will probably work in their favor that they could take advantage of that. And maybe they could dominate the offensive glass in the first meeting between the Knicks and the Celtics. They won the offensive rebound battle 17-7. to But um, this is a very good Celtics team, uh, obviously. And the only caveat I will add to how good I think the Celtics are is they did just lose two games. And the common thread I found between both of them, aside from the fact that... uh, one was a, both of these teams that they played were really good defenses. They played Philadelphia and Minnesota, the other two teams with the Knicks in the top with the Knicks and Celtics, I should say, in the top four in defense. Um, the comment that I found is that in both of these games, the Celtics, the uh, couldn't hit a lick from three. So I shouldn't say couldn't hit a lick. They were poor from three. In the first game against Minnesota, they were 11 for 39. That's good for 28%. In the next game against Philadelphia, they were 15 of 47, which is around 31%. If you remember when the Knicks played the Celtics, I believe they shot about 30% as well that night. And the Knicks were up in the fourth quarter. And maybe if you hit your free throws or just have one other person besides RJ and uh, and Emmanuel quickly hit shots, you probably win that game by double digits. Uh, Maybe some, some referee luck in our favor would have been good too. The point being, the common thread it seems in how to beat the Celtics is do everything you're doing, you need to do correctly. Everything you're good at, continue to do that well. So for the Knicks, don't turn the ball over. Win the offensive glass again. You know, hit your threes this game. The Knicks hit their threes and were in that game. That's the other thing. The the Timberwolves were fifty percent from three that night. So that gave them a chance. Uh, the Sixers actually didn't hit their threes all that much, but they had 13 extra rebounds. So they dominated the boards on the Celtics. So it looks like you have to dominate one thing and pray that the Celtics are missing. Or, you know, defense. Uh, force them to miss a bunch of threes. But they're gonna take a ton. And some of them are gonna be open. And so the three-point variants will hopefully have to be in your favor. Um, I am very curious uh, how this game goes. Because I do think the Knicks match up well against the Celtics. I also recognize there is a very unstoppable version of this Celtics team that exists. So let's see just how unstoppable. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our friends at AG1. And then my conversation with Jack Simone. Of, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to leave all this in. Hold on a second. There's one thing I forgot. So in the episode that you're about to hear, the conversation with Jack that I have At one point, we referenced an article from one of his colleagues named Oliver. That article is hyperlinked in the description of this episode. Oliver makes the case that the Celtics and Heat is not a rivalry. Um, It comes up on the pod. We discuss it. Uh, This way, you have it to follow along with. Give them a few extra clicks if you'd like. I disagree with the notion completely, and we'll reach out to Oliver to see if we can get him on the pod. (laughs) But uh, if you want to follow along with what we're referring to, that link to the article uh, is available for anybody uh, in the description of this episode. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our friends at AG1 and then my conversation with Jack Simone of the How About Them Celtics podcast and Celtics blog previewing this matchup between the New York Knicks and the Boston Celtics. Enjoy. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about AG1. Going into this season, I decided it was time to make a change. My digestion didn't feel its best, I felt sluggish, stressed, didn't feel as focused, and knew I needed to do something different. So I decided to give AG1 a try because I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and I hated taking pills of vitamins. Well, when I started drinking AG1 daily, not only could I see a difference in my daily health, but I finally had energy and noticed how much more relaxed and focused I was. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs such as gut optimization stress management and immune support since 2010 ag1 has led the future of foundational nutrition continuously refining their formula to create a smarter better way to evaluate your baseline health fun fact I recommended ag1 to all my friends family and Mrs Claudio we drink ag1 first thing in the morning to make sure we have the energy needed to take on a busy day there's no debate ag AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash film school. That's drink. That's drinkag1.com slash film school. Check it out. Mr. Jack Simone. Welcome back to the next film school pregame show. How are you, my friend? I'm great. I love the energy. Whenever I intro the podcast, I always
2: scream. And then when I'm at the garden recording, I'm like whispering. And so I, it's always a, a, a what very, did you just call garden. TD Bank? Hey, North garden? hey, well, what, no, no, what, no, no, What did you just call it? I, it's the garden. I, I, no, that's, it's it, not. How the, the square gardens the garden? Anybody <laughs> within a X mile radius of me currently, it's the garden. And you're wrong. You're oh. all wrong in that sure, we can smile, be wrong yes. and yes, and you guys can be wrong in your bubble. And then to the outside world, yours is the garden. But in, in this little world that I like to encapsulate myself in, it's the garden. And that's what I'll call it.
1: All right. So <laughs> we to disagree. And you're all, okay. like you're on our pod, so I'll be cordial about how much I disagree.
2: <laughs> I had you. to start with the fans, Nick's fans getting mad at me. Of course, it's, well, it's you, just not mission accomplished.
1: You call because <laughs> we talked about this last time. The old Boston garden. I hear you. There's history there. Yeah. What The his that's one finals in two thousand eight. That's that's the history at this new place. <laughs> hey, I will I will happily admit
2: to ninety nine percent of the entire population, Madison Square Garden is the garden. But like mm-hmm. I said, my little X percent around this area, it's just shorthand, that I'm gonna I'll continue to call it the garden.
1: You know what this is? So you remember how the, you know I know you you either used to or are a big baseball fan, right? Yeah, so the Yankees have the core four: the Posada, Jeter, Bernie Williams, and uh, Mariano, right? Mm-hmm. So last year during the playoffs when we were playing the Cavs, Justin Rowan of the Chase down called Mobley, Allen, Garland, and uh, I think it's a Coro is the oh no, no Mobley Garland <laughs> yeah and Mitchell no whichever Mitchell, the okay whichever Whatever the, one. the yeah, core sure. four are they were calling them the core four. And I was like, the core four for me are those four Yankees. Okay? So, I don't know what you think of the core four. Well, like- like, every but like... That was 10 years ago in a different sport, yeah. so who knows? Well,
2: I mean, it's to say, like, Heat fans will say, oh, it's the big three, but like, is that the big three? What's, what's the actual big
1: three? Here? That like, actually is a good example. <laughs> I, when I think big three, I think Pierce Garnett and yep. Allen. What <laughs> yeah. I thought the Heat were were the Heatles. Like yeah, the that heatles was the big three yeah. on steroids, you know. So okay, <laughs> I think we found a way to get to okay. Common Brown. Get grounded. The pot is back on track. Uh, Madison Square Garden is the only garden. Glad we came to that agreement. All right, um, all, right all right, Jack. How are you? How how was life covering the Celtics, a team <laughs> that has an insane net rating out of their starting five, but. The most recent Celtics game I watched, I know they played Toronto last night, but the or not last night. Um who they just played? Oh so yeah. They, so last it was, night. They is blew the Toronto this, yeah. Okay. So they just <laughs> blew Toronto out. Um and the game before that, though, they played the Sixers, a game I caught mm-hmm. the the end of, and the Sixers impressively come away with a W. So mm-hmm. I know how fans are and I know how we can magnify the little things, especially when you're in a season yeah. that there's one absolute outcome that has to happen here. So how are the vibes? Is it overall positive with the seven two start? Are there things that have come up through those, these nine games? How are you feeling?
2: Yeah. So the Sixers, so the Celtics lost two games in between there to the Sixers and the Timberwolves. Uh, and it was sandwiched by the first five wins of the season. And then they, they trounced the Nets and the Raptors on a back-to-back this weekend. It, like the the rap, the Nets were also without Cam Thomas, and so it was mm. basically just back-to-back games of the Celtics playing teams that have no offensive focus and no offensive creation. So it's like they they just were like, "Oh, we're better than you." Sorry, and they, they won the game. But <clears throat> the Sixers and the Timberwolves games, and we'll talk about the Sixers specifically, um, were were tough losses, and the Celtics shot horribly in both games. Like mm. the the Timberwolves game was a result of shout out Minnesota. They're really good this year. Like they genuinely look really good. And it was, it was impressive to me because coming into the game, they had the number one defense. And I was like, oh, they know the number one defense. Like, let's see the Celtics. And it was like, oh yeah, they're, they're the number one defense. All right. And they like, they stuck Jaden McDaniels on Tatum. They denied Tatum the ball. They 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 clogged the lane with Gobert who actually looked really effective against Porzingis when he tried to get inside. And so the Celtics were like, whoa, like this is this is some pressure we haven't seen yet. Uh, and their shot profile was bad. They couldn't get to the looks they wanted. And then against the Sixers, I, I thought the offense Offensive, you know, process of the Celtics was a bit better. They just shot really poorly, and Embiid played really good defense when they tried to get into the lane. So they, there was a lot of pass, pass around the per- perimeter, and and not you know driving and kicking. So they didn't get many paint touches because Embiid did a really good job of stopping them from getting inside. But they also shot thirty one point nine percent from from three. So that 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 never helps. And the 103-106 the final score is not reflective of how the Celtics played in that game. They were down by 15 points with about three minutes left, two and a half minutes left. And they like stormed back to make it a, a one possession game and they had a chance to win and they should have had another chance to win because the the last two minute report. A lot of Celtics fans were mad, and beat stepped out of bounds with four seconds left, and they didn't call it. And everyone's mad. Sam and I made a video about this on our channel, and we explained kindly the Celtics didn't deserve to win this game. Stop complaining about one call. The Celtics played bad, and that's why they lost, not because the ref screwed them. The Celtics lost because they were bad, and they were, and, and they you know they didn't play well, and Porzingis was. Pretty ineffective in the game. Jason Tatum didn't play uh, excuse me, particularly well. Jalen Brown had a really rough game. Four turnovers didn't shoot the ball well. So the Sixers did a great job of getting out in transition, forcing turnovers, uh, and had a lot of offensive rebounds, especially in the second quarter. And that's kind of when the game flipped. But they still had a chance to win. And I think that's the biggest takeaways from the loss and why... Uh, as I'm finally getting around to your question, the vibes are still pretty good in Boston, um, especially now that they've had two blowouts since. But those games last year where the Celtics shoot shoot, you know, 32, 26, whatever percent from three, those are 15 point losses. Like last year, Celtics were if we don't make threes, we lose the game. That that's just what it was. And so to have a lineup this year where you can go into the post with Tatum or Przingis, you can have Drew Holiday run the offense and get s- some bully ball action on smaller guards as well. You have Jalen Brown who's cutting off the ball more and has a great great two-man game with Chris Epson. It's like you have other looks that aren't just make threes or lose. And so I think those are how they were able to stay in those games where they were pretty clearly the worst team. Um, and they did end up losing them. But I think the vibes are high for that reason. Cause you can see that, okay, the Celtics, you know, they did the one thing that they had to do last year to win poorly, but they were still in it. And then, I mean, when they're on, they're on. And you saw that against the Raptors and the Nets. So,
1: so Two things. First of all, I want to commend you for the honesty in the last two-minute report not being the reason. Um, Because there is a narrative amongst Knicks fans that if the refs had called the Jalen Brunson flopping foul <laughs> correctly, which was actually Tatum putting his foot underneath Brunson, in his landing spot, which should have been reviewed for a three shot technical. That, that's yes. The, so you agree. And the Knicks could yeah, yeah. have had a chance at a three and then the possession. Uh, the pushback I've always given is like, listen, the Knicks missed like. 13 free throws that night. There's no guarantee Brunson makes all three of those free throws. That is still a four point swing and a four point loss. There are plenty of Mm -hmm. other margins you could point to. You answered my question about the three point shooting that it it, like the the Celtics like to chuck them up. That's the biggest thing I noticed from opening night. They do. (laughs) The biggest thing I've noticed in every game except the Indiana game, which they were up by a hundred. So you know, yeah. who knows what happened down the stretch, but they only took 35 in that game. Every other game, it's at least 39 three-point attempts this season. And 50 to, in one of the last two games. They took well, 50. So, like you is, said, though, they don't have to shoot 50% or 40% yeah. from three in order to be good. Like the Nick game made 31% from the field and then still ended up winning. Um, the Brooklyn game, 33%. Well, Washington, 35%. Like the most recent game, 34%. That's not only winning because of your threes. You're finding the volume is there, but you're still, you know, finding other ways to win, it seems. What is a legitimate concern about this Celtics though? Do you have any legitimate concerns off of the nine game sample?
2: I think I'll point to two things and it'll be one on each side
1: of the floor. Okay.
2: Offensively, there's still just a hint too much of ISO ball. And Mm. that's been a problem with the Celtics for a while because of Tatum and Brown. And now you've got your holiday doing it a little bit, which Bucks fans were really quick. Oh, you're not going to like him because of this, which Bucks fans, I'm going to point to you. Happy with your defense, or like, Ooh. like Ooh. I, Bucks, Some box fans are some of. The, uh, we'll leave that. Anyways, um, Ooh, okay. a little bit too much of. I'm neutral on ball. this. I just I'm enjoying the, the tea. Okay, that that was by far the most toxic series I've ever witnessed on Twitter. The the two years ago when Chris Middleton was out and the Celtics played the Bucks and won Game Seven and, and Grant Williams wiped them, which you lost Grant Williams never can live that down. <laughs> I lo- big Grant Williams guy here, so um that was the most toxic Twitter series I've ever witnessed um a little bit too much iso ball a little too much your turn my turn the Celtics offense this year is very much find a mismatch work out of the mismatch but too often does that turn into oh I got a mismatch I'm just gonna shoot right you got to work out of it you got to draw a double you got to pass you got to get to the rim and pass like <clears throat> there's too much calling of their own name and then defensively the way they play is Chris stops in the drop and it got exposed or it has been exposed before By just, you know, forcing him to play at the level and forcing him to come up out of the paint. And he's not the quickest there. Mm. Um, And so I I think that's a potential flaw. But also, as I think the Knicks game, the opening night was a good example. The Celtics defense is very Chris stops and drop. And then we're going to guard five guys with four guys. So we're sprinting. Everyone's running. Everyone's, uh, you know, getting around and switching and helping. And they're full court pressing a lot this year. And it does lead to some open threes as you saw against the Knicks. And so I think that's a problem. And through the first two games of the season, the Knicks and the Heat shot 45% from three against the Celtics each because they got a lot of open ones because the Celtics were scrambling. So I do think that defense can be successful because it has led to a bunch of turnovers and they can get in the break and they like to play fast because of that. But I do think that's a potential weakness of it that they have to watch. So I'll say ISO ball and offense and then the potential to give up too many open threes slash Kristaps is... Supposed defensive limitations, even though I think he's a really good defender when they put him in the right spots.
1: Uh, the right spots, not at the rim, though. You're you're pointing to, like you said, we're guarding at the level. And
2: well, no, they, I think he's, he's I think he's better in drop around the rim. I think he struggles a bit more when you force him to the level. Although it's weird because he can trap. And in the preseason, I asked him about, and he's like, "Yeah, Joe Mazzulla has given me freedom to trap when I see fit." But I think when you force him out of the paint, um out of the sort of dunker spot help area that Robert Williams played, it's not the exact same, but he he stays down and the Fed having Drew Holiday guard bigs. I mean, he guarded Randall at opening night, he's guarded Carly in the Towns and uh Jolan Bede sense. So, like, he's putting
1: putting Drew Holiday mm-hmm. on your power forward. The, like Randall had no idea what to do with it. Exactly. And I think, I want to say it, it contributed because Julius Randle got off to like a historically bad start across the board. He was one for ten games. against Drew Holiday, one so, for ten against Holiday. As a result, I don't know if that like put him in a funk. Like, you know, again, baseball when like you face a good starting pitcher and then suddenly your swing is off for the next like week and a mm-hmm. half with Randall, he faced holiday and then just was off with his shooting. Now there's other things, his ankle, but that was our biggest takeaway, or at least one of the big takeaways from that night was, Oh, this is, this is working. If holiday is going to be able to guard fours the rest of the year.
2: Yeah. And it worked against cat. Cat was three of six against him, but he had like six turnovers against, Mm uh, uh, Holiday and the three buckets he'd scored were like quick, rapid fire. Like oh, I'm going to be super aggressive, but Cat was useless that game. He had he was a negative impact. They were better with him off the floor against the Celtics, and they won. And then they did lose to the Sixers, but he did a really good job against Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid only had 20 points in that game, and I know it's only, but oh, 20 points is only with Joel Embiid. 33 a game uh, last year, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, literally.
2: So he did he did well against him for some early turnovers, but having him guard the bigger guys because Kristaps is not comfortable guarding Embiid. He got cooked by Embiid. He's not comfortable against the bigger center. So having Holiday out there allows Porzingis to drop back, guard the guy in the corner, help there uh, when he needs to, but also come over to the rim and block some shots. And I so I think that's the best spot for him defensively. When you force him to come out of the paint, like you're you're playing a, a center who can shoot where he's not going to always be back there. There's There's no clear... Limitation in terms of a three-point shooter. There, There's no non-shooter on the floor for the other team. He's going to have to come out to the perimeter a little more, and then he can get beat off the dribble too easily. And so I think that's, that's the one limitation
0: I'd watch out for,
2: um, for defensively for the Celtics.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Those are the concerns. If there are any through nine mm. games, let's talk about some of the good things about the <laughs> Celtics. Um, yeah. My goodness, this starting five. So I've got cleaning the glass up in front of me. It's yeah. 247 possessions. The starting five of drew holiday, Derek white, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum and Christoph Porzingis are a plus 42.4. <laughs> They're averaging 129.6 per 100 points per 100 possessions, with an effective field goal percentage. I I rarely see this because I'm usually looking at at Nick stats, but in the 100th percentile of mm. 66.4 in effective field goal percentage. Um, yeah, my, my inclination is to ask the question, "What the hell?" Um, <laughs> but I guess my, because we had said this when we did our first pod that I noticed during the preseason, there's an unstoppable thing here if it's working yeah. or when it's working. So I guess my my question actually is like, how sustainable do you think? Not plus 42.4, but like, is that always going to be the bread and butter that you go back to when the times are bad that it's like, you know, what, I don't think anybody's beating the starting five.
2: Yeah, I I I don't think anybody's beating this. Like it's it's that good. It is yeah. it is that good to watch in person. And we'll take their. I'll use the Raptors game because it's the freshest in my mind. And you, you can put an asterisk next to it because the Raptors are bad. They're
1: not good. Like that. Sorry, they're, they're, they're not they team. have half core offense it's, issues. That I agree with. Their <laughs> offense is bad. I think they missed Nick Nurse too, which we're finding <laughs> absolutely out even more so. But go ahead. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. defensively though, like Ojan and OB is an all defensive player. Scotty Barnes should be saw Dennis Schroeder's been a really good perimeter defender. <laughs> They got cooked. They had no chance. There was nothing they could do. They were completely lost. Jared Weiss, the athletic, tweeted out last night. He goes, the Raptors are consistently losing the guy who is five inches taller than anybody else on the floor. Like Porzingis was just moving anywhere he wanted. Like the, the pick and roll with Porzingis last night was he popped right for the first Half of the game. Right. He he set a brush screen. He barely touched the guy, uh, you know, th- who was guarding the ball handler. And then he just popped out to the three point line and it either led to an easy drive for Tatum, Brown, Holiday or Derek White or an open three for him uh, or an open three for somebody else. If somebody helped from t- like whatever second half, he's like, all right, I'm going to roll now. Good luck. And so he just started diving in towards the rim and they were so worried about him shooting threes. That They they were lost, and they were like, oh, wait, he can do that too? There is nothing you can do. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were already arguably the best scoring duo in the NBA in terms of getting to their spots, making jumpers, getting to the rim. Like, lethal. Both of them averaged 25 a night last year. Tatum averaged 30. Pair them with somebody in the pick and roll who averaged 23 and 8 last year, can shoot, can, you know play around the rim can post up, which has been doing a lot this year and just bullying smaller defenders, which happened a lot against the Nets. Both times they played them because Nick Claxton was hurt um, and can also just act as a, a, uh, a lob threat. Like what are defenses supposed to do? And then you add in Derek white, who is in my biased opinion, probably the best role player type guy in the NBA. Like he defends at an all defensive level and he shoots 40% from three. There is not much more you need from a guy. Right. And I I I'm very high on Derek White. I think he is like an closer to an all star than a role player. I'll put it that way. Like he he plays in the role of a role player, but like I'll put it this way the fact that he was left off top one hundred is maybe the most obscene thing I've ever we seen.
1: We have a That's similar <laughs> frustration with quickly where sure like Emmanuel quickly is mm-hmm. like you put Derek white. We will obviously there you go vouch okay. for Emmanuel quickly in that sense of best role player in the NBA. And to your point, like we were talking about this during one of our watch alongs the other night about Derek white, shout out to our, our stack guru XJ where he's thought white is actually the, the second all-star that the Celtics should consider. I <laughs> do think there is something to be said about like role players performing and like primary players that teams built like, game plan to stop on offense performing. I agree with you. The impact that Derek White provides is very clear. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then when you combine that with
2: the ball handling and offensive presence of Drew Holiday with the pick and rolls that Porzingis is running with two of the best offensive players in the NBA, like even if you are (laughs) the best defense in the NBA, the Timberwolves, right? They did a great job of stopping them. It's not like the Celtics were just completely lost. and, And that was the first time they were actually like... Okay, wow, this is a defense that is really like giving us a lot of trouble. We don't know what to do. And they shot really poorly. And a lot of that was them like they just missed shots. Like the Sam Hauser shot poorly, like they missed shots. And it, like a lot of the Celtics offensive woes will come because of their own mistakes, because of their own, you know, oh, we didn't pass enough this game. We we didn't hit our spots this game. The Timberwolves were a perfect example of team found a way to slow them down, but like I mean, you read the stats, like the Celtics offense, the way they move, the way they play, how much talent, like they traded their two non-shooters in Marcus Smart and Robert Williams for two guys that shoot 40% and it's just good luck NBA, like see you later.
1: You bring up the Timberwolves game, I'd even go to the Knicks game Mm. like the, Mm. I thought the Knicks played them well and the Knicks three-point shooting kept them in the game despite some horrific two-point shooting (laughs) Like, like the majority of the night was like they're just chucking threes and they're missing them tonight, so I almost wonder. Do you think the the strategy on how to beat the Celtics, as far as slowing them down, is just like hope they missed? Is that actually the the game plan against the Celtics, or is there another way you fear that they could be that this specific starting five could be you know have have a bit of a kryptonite?
2: I think that's probably the easiest way because the Celtics did shoot very bad, very poorly in the Timberwolves and Sixers games. I think denying Jason Tatum the ball which is what Jaden McDaniels did is a great way to slow it down. Cause as great as the Celtics offense is Tatum is on another level. And, and and last year he was on another level. Wow. Can't speak. If last year he found a new height this year, he's on like the sun, right? Like he, he mm-hmm. is completely diversified as offensive game. There's a chart on Twitter. If you search Tatum shot chart or whatever, he went from like shooting only layups and only top, the key wing threes to, He's posting up. He's shooting mid-range. Last night against the Raptors, he he pump faked a contested three that would have been a shot last year, stepped in, took a midy, and of course, it's cash because he's Jason Tatum. So <clears throat> denying him the ball and forcing the offense to run through Jalen Brown and Drew Holiday is probably the best bet. That said, those are also two all-star players. So it's, it's not perfect, but I, I think the best way to guard the Celtics is deny Jason Tatum the ball. And clog the lane, which is again what the Timberwolves did, because then Tatum can't be in the action, which is like that's their best form of offense, anyways. And then they can't drive and kick, which forces them to pass a lot of around the perimeter. And then you're just not going to get as good of a shot that way. So I, I think the Timberwolves probably had the best possible way to guard the Celtics, and the Celtics were still kind of
1: in that game too. So then hear me out. Then we'll like we'll do the next portion of the pod now. If you're using Quentin Grimes or Josh Hart or like quickly off ball to deny Tatum, right? Mm-hmm. They want to talk about stopping teams from getting to the rim. Now, granted, according to Clean the Glass, again, just going by the computer and I at the actual games that I'm watching. So you could tell me if this is, this isn't a fair thing, but they're not, like their rim f- frequency for the, for the Celtics is 31%, which is like in the 30th percentile in the league. So they're not really getting, they're not attempting shots at the rim as often as other teams are. So if the Knicks already, one of the best rim protection teams in the league, one of the best rebounding teams in the league, have options to deny Tatum, is it fair for a Knicks fan to believe that they match up well against the Celtics? Not they're better, not they can beat them, they match up well against the Celtics.
2: I think the Knicks do match up well with the Celtics just in the sense that they don't, and I think I talked about this before opening night, they don't really have a super clear defensive weakness. Like the best one you can argue is Jalen Brunson, but even he was strong for a guard. And so I think, man,
1: real quick, not interrupt you with this season. It's not even like, he's not a stopper at all. Yeah. He's no, doing exactly. withdrawing charges. And I, one of the funniest jokes I've, I think I've ever heard was happened the other day. Uh, shout out to, to our, our board Mensa, who was in a Twitter space and said, someone said about Jalen Brunson, like, Defense is like fatherhood. Sometimes just being there is enough. And Jalen Brunson, like, <laughs> is in every passing lane. Like he's drawing these charges. Like you're gonna yeah. have to. Score like go at him. He's not gonna lazily be like. It's not the Trey Young defense where it's like, yeah. oh, I just got to go around this and I'm good. It's like, like Kyle Lowry. I mean, the annoying. Honestly, factors. yes, it's not his, he He's have the hands of Kyle Lowry because Kyle Lowry will strip you as, but he almost mm-hmm. still counteracts it by forcing a turnover yeah. with these charges. He leads the sport in that. So he's using his physicality mm-hmm. to force turnover, first turnovers on defense instead. Yes.
2: Yeah. And I think that's why the Knicks probably do match up pretty well with the Celtics. Like you stick Josh Hart on Tatum or RJ Barrett, or it's just a tall, strong defender on Jason Tatum. And their only job that game is don't let Tatum get the ball. Like as much as you can, don't let him get the ball. Do that. <clears throat> then you guard. The, the tricky part then is like, if Mitchell Robinson is guarding Chris Stops for Joe Mizzou will just be like, all right, Chris Stops, don't go in the paint. Like, yeah. Hit the three point line. Right. And then you're stuck with that. The counter to that is okay, Tom Thibodeau, break out his zone, see how the Celtics handle zone because the Celtics have not played well against the zone in the past. And I, I get the hesitancy because then you go, no, leave no, a lot it's not even a hesitancy.
1: Run. I would love if that was in their game plan. They just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know if Tibbs has ever run into that. That's, his a, zone that's an thing. Eric Spolster
2: thing. That's an yeah, Eric Spolster. But, yeah. no, yeah, I think maybe you put. That's, I think that's the only trouble with the Knicks matchup is where do you put Mitchell Robinson? And I, this isn't like Mitchell Robinson's a bad defender, but the Celtics are just going to space the floor. They're just going to five out and then there's not much you can do. I forget. I, I, I want to find it so I can give them credit. But there was a great thread on Twitter today that was breaking down the Celtics five out offense. And it was just a lot of, okay, everyone space the floor and then we'll set screens for each other and we'll, we'll move around the perimeter and th- like... Jakob Purtle was toast, and as great as Mitchell Robinson is as a, an offensive rebounder and a rim protector, like if you put him in a pick and roll with Tatum and for Zingis, like I'm taking Tatum and for Porzingis, right? And so I think that's the trouble.
1: So it's not even necessarily the pick and roll; it's when Kristaps doesn't roll to the rim and he rolls yes, to the three point pop, line. If it's a pops. pick and pop, then like Kristaps had 30 on opening night because of that. Yeah. Counterpoint, though, the Knicks have two centers and the worst game that yeah. Robinson had this year was that opening night or worst game is is subjective. But like the game that he wasn't the dominant self he's mm-hmm. been this year is when Isaiah Hartenstein played the majority of the minutes and he I don't know if he's better on the perimeter, but he at least can guard further away from the rim and you don't lose as much on the offensive boards. Look, I think these two teams match up well. The most encouraging thing about the Knicks is the two quote unquote um, contenders in the Eastern Conference so far this season. Milwaukee and you guys, the Knicks were up in the fourth quarter with, like, God damn it! if they just made free throws. If they had like <laughs> league average from two point and league average from the free throw line, I think the Knicks went by double digits. But like who knows if they had like they were in it when the fourth quarter against the against the, the Celtics and mm. if uh, i mean the Bucs thing is a whole different conversation i watched the bucks game that's what so i meant yeah rj was out and julius randall yeah, well, I'm glad you figured it out, Julius. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That was a very dark night for a lot of Knicks fans. Um, But it, like you said, there's very few weaknesses on this team, which is why I think the Knicks depth can match up well with the Celtics' overall talent ceiling. That's why I think this is going to be a good game on Monday night. Who knows? Maybe the unstoppable version of the Celtics shows up and the Knicks get blown out for the first time this year. Uh, but we'll see. Um, Last question. And because I told you I want to get you out of here quicker because um, we had you on recently and I asked so many questions then. <laughs> uh, I've been doing this thing with Gohos. Uh, I said like an evergreen segment and I asked yeah. about the Mount Rushmore of greatest Celtics ever. Mm-hmm. I landed on a better one and now I actually want to ask it to you. So the Sweet. Mount Rushmore of rivals. So. <sighs> the dates you circle on the calendar, I the Knicks and Celtics. Like the Celtics, clearly are one for a lot of Knicks fans. I gotta be honest, not as much for me. They end up yeah. because I need to include four, and the New York Boston <laughs> thing is a thing. But like Miami is on the schedule before the Celtics. Indiana is on the schedule for me, at least before the Celtics. But I guess Brooklyn and and Philly are part of the conversation with the Knicks. But like there's a there's a clear New York Boston thing like I mentioned for you personally who are the four teams that you circle the this date on the calendar man I can't wait until we play X
2: okay so the, I think the key here is for me because yeah. in the world of Celtics which I'm well, sure answer you get this, it both the ways too. like yeah. again I so, have
1: no animosity toward the Lakers but there are are Knicks fans that are like it's it's a rematch of the 69 exactly. 70 finals like, like all right
2: you'll great. get You'll get Celtics fans who are far older than I who will say, "How can you not have this team?" I get so like I'm gonna answer me first, and then I'll try to guess what I guess the general Celtics fan like. Yeah. For example, a lot of older Celtics fans would be like, "Pistons, Pistons have to be on there. Screw the Pistons." But like, the P- come on, the Pistons are not there right now. Like they're yeah. just not. They're, they're not a part of it right now. Um, Lakers have to be on there for the Celtics. It's just duh. It's like you yeah. have to have the Lakers. Um, <clears throat> right now. I'm gonna put the heat right now, just because of how competitive it's been over the past few seasons. We actually had an article go up on Celtics blog saying it's not a rivalry yet, blah blah blah. Which
1: I disagree with. I think it's a rivalry at this point. How um, is it not? I you know, even you. have the fact that both teams have beaten each other. That's like the definition <laughs> of a rivalry, you know. Listen,
2: shout out Oliver. Love him. Great guy. <laughs> Writes for Celtics blog. He made a good point. He made good points too. He was like, "What's oh, the you point?" Know, it's, it was. <laughs> I read it and i forget <laughs> uh it was it was basically just like like it hasn't gone on long enough yet like it's not the same thing it's like it's not yet they've run into each other a lot but it's like i don't know it, it was kind of like wishy-washy it, it's a rivalry okay. in my it's mind a rivalry. It's a rivalry. yes yes i think it's a rivalry so celtics lakers celtics heat i'm going to say celtics 76ers as well just because i think I have a lot of respect for the Philly fan base. They're some of the best fans in sports. Now, some Celtics fans can make the joke. Well, is it a rivalry? The Sixers never win, which true. They, they don't win. Like the 76ers haven't beaten the Celtics in the playoffs since what? Like 80s? Like, a lo- It's been a long time. And they've played each other a lot since then. Um, but whenever they play in the regular season, as evidenced by the loss the Celtics took to the Sixers earlier this season, it's a good game. And, and, and honestly, I was saying this on How About Them Celtics. I don't really like, Outside of the fact that it is a rivalry and I don't love Nick Nurse, like I don't really hate anybody on that roster anymore. Like James Harden's gone. Cool. I like Maxie. He's cool. I respect Embiid. Like he's a good player. You know, I, I, Tobias Harris is fine. Like I, I don't have a deep hatred for anybody on the roster anymore. Harden was just <laughs> James Harden. Um, the <laughs> last one, <laughs> the last one's tough because I'm going to say it's the Bucks just because Ooh, of how wow. good they are right now. Just because I think. It's not necessarily a rivalry in the sense that oh they played each other a million times. Well, this there's that series in 2020 which I alluded to earlier, which is there. But it's also just the general idea of every season for the past X years, it's Celtics and the Bucks, the top of the East. There's these are the two best teams. Let's see how they play. And so you have that juice from both fandoms. Like okay, yeah, this is probably our competition. Obviously didn't happen last year because the Heat were like, "Ha we're here," and they just kind of ruined everything. Um, shout out to the Heat, they're cool, whatever. <laughs> um, you
1: but- do not have to shout out the Miami Heat on this podcast, my friend. I promise. Yeah, okay, we will good, be good. Okay, I, I, I Miami Heat can go to
2: hell forever and ever. I'm right there with. I you. wipe it, then I wipe it, I wipe it, I get yeah. rid of it. But um, I'll probably go those just because like the Bucks are kind of the. Widely viewed as the Celtics' top rival in in the in the East, but I'll go with those. And then I guess you say, oh, maybe the Pistons, maybe the maybe the Nuggets, because they're like, oh, this is probably the next best team. So there's that. And also, before I forget, uh, Esfandiar Bar- Baraheni. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. That's the guy who had the thread with the Celtics five out offense. I, I didn't want to not credit and just like say it, but like it was a really good thread. So go check it out if you want. Anyways, yeah, those those are rivals. Sorry, I'm rambling now.
1: How far did the Brooklyn thing get into? Rivalry status because like both teams did play like the Kyrie stuff. Obviously yeah. a thing they played each other twice in back to back years and like Brooklyn just like couldn't get out of their own way until they, they yeah. disassembled. So how much like the Celtics didn't make it into the the Mount Rushmore for a year or two, right? It was definitely there. Like you see, oh, you
2: know, Kyrie is annoying. He's there. Uh, you know, the Nets, they obviously played each other in the playoffs back to back. I will say the first year the Celtics started Jabari Parker in a game. So come on, like, let's, let's, let's be a little realistic in terms of how, how even those matchups were. And then the next year the Celtics spanked them. Um, so it it was there for like two years, but at this point it's kind of like, it's kind of like in the past. That's, that's how I like to think of rivalries. Like as much as you can say, Oh, this is really cool. They're playing the Pistons haha, from the eighties. Like, I'm sorry, the Pistons are bad. Like that's not a rivalry anymore. So that's kind of how I look at it with the Nets. Like the Nets, I don't dislike anybody in the Nets, but they're just not very good right now. So I don't really see it as a rivalry anymore. Um, it, but it was definitely there. I would probably put them on instead of the Bucks for those two years, just because of actually. But that's tough. Though. They were in the conversation at the very least before.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm reading Oliver's article now. Like, no disrespect to Oliver. <laughs> yeah. You're just, this is wrong. So I just don't. Doubt Oliver, but yes. <laughs> I just don't think Celtics Heat is there yet. In Boston, we take our rivals very seriously. The Red Sox have the Yankees. And so I think the thing that he's trying to make is they're History. not their number. No, it's that they're not their main rival. Okay. That's sure. Other, like, I can get there with that, but he does list, like, like you said, the Lakers take. The cake historically and the Sixers hold the belt now. I see, I'd even say that maybe because you play the Sixers more often during the season, I can get yeah. there, but I would have thought actually having to lose, like experience defeat at the hands of the, the rival makes the rivalry yeah. much more heartbreaking, you know? So I with respect to Oliver, um, I think the Heat are your rival, and I think you I they, agree. they currently have the upper hand in the rivalry there. It's just, you want to want history. Like if you want to go, yeah, Fox, whatever, like there is the big three Celtics that like tried to dethrone. Yeah. The heat during that stretch when LeBron was in Miami, like that's definitely. a thing too, you know, definitely. And it, it's just so weird with the heat. And I'm sure you experienced this too. Cause like they're not there
2: for the regular season. It, it is a playoff rivalry and that's it. So it's like, it's a rivalry for, Two weeks out of the calendar year, but the rest of the time it's like, are the heat going to play? Are they going to be real? And then they're always there, but like you never know because they don't like show it until they show it.
1: I was talking to uh, Ty Windish of uh, the Eurostep. that covers the Bucks, right? So, yeah. we both had the conversation. I'm, I'm sure you and I like. I think we mentioned this the first time too. Yeah, all three of us just looked up at the end of the play. I was like, how do you <laughs> lose to this team? Like, wait a minute! Like you go through a series against the Heat. There are there are nights you execute and you look like the better team. There are moments of games you lose that you're like, this team can't score on anybody at the moment. Yeah. And then you look up, they have more points than your team, and it's just like, how did the, how did this team beat us? Caleb Martin, just, man. Just Caleb can't... Martin, Max Strus, Gabe Vincent, the ghost of Kyle Lowry, like <laughs> all of it led to this playoff run that. Every Heat fan, like, I can't wait to talk to my buddy Giancarlo when the Knicks play the Heat on Thanksgiving and be like, yeah, I know. You guys are kind of sleepwalking through the regular season. I'm going to look up in six months. You'll (sighs) have 35 wins. I'm going to be terrified that this 10 seed is finally going to suddenly going to turn it on and waltz their way back to the finals. You know? Yeah. It's an unbelievable... It's an experience
2: that few teams can share to be afraid of a lower seed and yep. that's that's how I think the Celtics would rather play the Sixers or the Bucks in a playoff series than the Heat. Like Celtics fans would rather play the the Sixers, the Bucks or any like the Heat might be the like the team they want to play the least in a playoff series at this point. Which so is maybe like Maybe
1: Oliver should have included <laughs> the line. They're not the rival, they're a boogeyman. Like Sure, yeah, it's less be, about like, the point. rivalry and it's more about like I'm terrified of this team. They annoy me you know exactly okay all right you're off the hook now oliver okay (laughs) at this point maybe we'll get you on to have you to defend for one of the future (laughs) definitely oliver's great guy recommend uh jack as always my friend thank you for coming on helping me preview a nick celtics matchup before you get out of here but plug away all the all the stuff where people could find your work
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can find me, uh, me and Sam LaFrance. I'll host a podcast called how about them Celtics? That's on Spotify, Apple, and we're on YouTube as well. And then all my written work is on Celtics blog, uh, which is just Celticsblog.com. You can find it there, but yeah, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, last time I was here, we got some Knicks fans, uh, in the, in the tweets and the replies saying, you know, uh, you know, it, this guy, you know, don't like him. but if, if GMAC is, is vouching for him, then he's cool. So I, I appreciate you for, for vouching for me.
1: Yes. I vouch for Jack. He's Still doesn't know which is the correct garden, And he picked the wrong sixth man of the year, but he knows ball. And that's like a thank prerequisite you. for coming on this podcast. So thank, thank you, you, Jack, as always, for blessing us with your knowledge. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Once again, a big thank you to Jack for coming on today's pod. Um, the Heat and the Celtics are rivalry. We'll start there. Uh, That is that is a thing. And shout out to to Oliver, who I am now going to reach out to and see if we could get him on for the next pod, because I want to talk to him about the thinking behind it and just like get his perspective on the debate. If there if there is one, the topic, I should say, because I personally think that if a team plays you in the playoffs in four straight years or three straight years, that constitutes a rivalry. So, we'll see. I guess 3 of the last 4 years the Heat have played the Celtics cuz they played the conference finals in the bubble, the conference finals 2 years ago and the conference finals last year. Um so, you know, we'll we'll talk to Oliver and see what he's thinking there. And of course, you know, the the, the real garden is is Madison Square Garden. I know I know people who come to New York and ask me if there are tours of MSG cuz they they want to go visit the world's most famous arena. They've never been. You know what happens when you go to Boston? You might tour Fenway Park and maybe drive past where the Celtics play. Not the the Garden, where the Celtics play. So, um, love you, Jack. It's always great talking ball with you. Really informative podcast, especially on the X's and O's side. And uh, we'll see how the Knicks fare in this matchup against one of the best teams in the NBA and how well they match up and how well the Celtics are hitting their threes on Monday night. You know what to do. Give uh, the How About Them Celtics pod, whether it be the YouTube channel, the iTunes or Spotify feed, uh, five stars. Give it the KFS bump. We like to take care of the people that make time for us. As far as I'm concerned, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five star rating review on this podcast feed. I will be back on Wednesday morning to preview the Knicks matchup against the Hawks. But until then, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. Let's go Knicks, and I will speak with you soon. Peace.